Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. Oh. I let my money at a fast pace. All right, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. All right, first with us today, we got Tank. Hey, guys, how's it going? And also with us today, we got DC. What up, dude? We also got on the fourth mic, which technically ain't a fourth mic because this is remote, but, you know, that's what I would say normally. Dan the Duke. Ahoy! Do you know when they invented the telephone? Hello wasn't a common greeting. They originally wanted to say ahoy. I swear to, that's a real fact, like Alexander Graham Bell. That's what he envisioned. I think it'd be a better world where we said ahoy more. <laughs> For real, it's a crazy world to think, but like back then, hello wasn't like a common thing. They said other shit. We want to get us started today, Tank? What you got to drink? All right, we got uh, New Holland Brewing, Peanut Butter Poet. Poet is their, I guess, flagship oatmeal stout. They do some variants. I've had a variant or two on there on the podcast before. This one is an Imperial Ale. This one's an Imperial Oatmeal Stout, 10.6 with peanut butter. Um, yeah, and it's a variant on their Poet line. It's pretty good, man. It is a little boozy, so I like to have a starter beer before I drink it, uh, if that makes <laughs> sense. But yeah, anyways, once you've had one, it's the, the peanut butter comes through lightly. And then the stout flavor, the oatmeal stout flavor that normally comes from their Poet line, you can taste that. And it's a good balance on a peanut butter stout. It was a little pricey. It was like 16 bucks for a four-pack and their 16-ounce cans. So it's definitely a tank white-collar brew for sure. I just love that his drinking, he has to warm up his liver beforehand. <laughs> like He does beer stretches. No, I actually got some... Uh, New Holland Poet upstairs. I love New Holland Poet. It's a great beer, so I'm kind of jealous because that's two of my favorite things, Poet and uh, Peanut Butter. It sounds well, like they got that one priced right there with the uh, Dragon Note. Yeah, I want to say it was $15.99 or $16.99. It was a buck off at Myers, but yeah, they're, this is part of their like Brewer's Best series, and it's, it's like, I don't want to say a seasonal, but it's kind of like a limited release. Mm-hmm. And those ones always start off right around that price range. Yeah. DC, what you got? I'm running back again for the third podcast now. A little triple stout with uh, Crown Black. It has become my new favorite drink. And uh, off the air, I was actually joking with Locke and explaining to him that I'm an old man now. So I have to give up vodkas and things of that sort. And now I'm pretty much like a, you know, bourbon, scotch whiskey kind of guy. You know, I, I got to leave that, you know, vodka and stuff for the young people. Clear liquor is a young person's game. Yes. <laughs> Just one more reason why I've always, have always had an old soul. Because I've always liked the bourbon and whiskey. I've never been the vodka clear liquor dude. Well, what do you, uh, what do you got to do? 
Uh, once again, I'm drinking a Guinness Dropster. Uh, yeah, like I said, I was going to switch it up to a New Holland Poet, but for some reason, stick with what's kind of become my go-to beer on the show, and it's really because I don't drink that much, so I just buy 12-pack, and there it sits. Before we get started, I had to make sure I take the time to thank Six Bo Sueno for letting us use his song in the intro. And Cancer for letting us use his song in the mid-roll. Follow them both on Instagram, Sixposueno, and then Isley Defiance, where you can see all his graphic art, photography. Uh, he did our logo. You can see that there. You can follow us at Bad Guy Podcast on both TikTok and Instagram. And if you have a hard time finding any of our links, you can go to our website at badguypodcast.com and click through everything there. We'll go ahead and get started. And the bad guy we're covering today is Clarence Carnes. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. Was this Papa Doc? His real name is Clarence. He lives at home with his parents. <laughs> All right, I always like when people have more than one AKAs. All right, so we got Clarence Victor Carnes, AKA Choctaw Kid, AKA Joe. Was <laughs> AKA is just a plain ass name, just Joe. <laughs> Joe, that that doesn't fit anything. Yeah, not even Choctaw Joe. Joe nothing. <laughs> Joe. Joe. <laughs> hey, we'll do a little reverse uh, storytelling. Some Quentin Tarantino. The nickname Joe is not going to come back up till the end, anyway. So we can nice. just throw that just throw that one out in the meet till the meantime. Nice. Clarence Carnes was born January 4, 1927 in Daisy, Oklahoma. <laughs> he was the oldest of five children to impoverished Choctaw parents. I'm sorry, for some reason I completely skipped out what year? 1927. His parents were poor, and he always had an issue with impulse control and following rules. He had his first run in the, with the law at eight years old when he got caught stealing candy at, from the school. And then he pretty much just continued to get in trouble his whole life. And you said running with the law when he was eight and stole candy from the school. I got suspended a lot in elementary school. I don't ever remember them once being like, well, we're going to have to call the law for this one. I mean, like, I got, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> this is like, so I got to piggyback on, on that with you, Tank. I, I got suspended a lot all through school. And I don't think once I got, you know, the law called on me. So, yeah, I don't know about that. I, I got to stay home a lot. I was in the <laughs> principal's office a lot. Detention, you know, yep. writing on the board, which, you know, kids today don't even know what a chalkboard is, but writing on the chalkboard. But I never got the law called on me. Yeah, but this is 1920s Oklahoma. Like five years earlier, they were just chopping off your hand for that offense. So they've come a long way. <laughs> Growth. Clarence was always a poor student, and in 1943, at the age of 16, he dropped out of the ninth grade. Right? I wonder, was that age typical at that time? Because, of course, now you would be very old to be in the ninth grade at 16. It seems like he was really behind. Okay. Well, you know, he had to take a year off for prison, so... <laughs> Well, I mean, dude, I remember like, all right, so our school, when I was younger, we went to high school in eighth grade because we didn't have a middle school. 
So I remember being an eighth grader in high school and being like, who is this grown ass motherfucker in the same fucking class with me and shit? And I mean, sometimes there was a reason for it, but most of the time it was because that guy was a major fuck up and he just, this was like his third time and shit. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with it so far. I remember a couple of them dudes like, damn, this guy's old as fuck to be in fucking English one and shit, you know? <laughs> players were like, that's what I like about high school, man. I get older, but I stay in the same grade. <laughs> <laughs> I know this will come as a shocker, but after he dropped out of school, he did. He just kind of ran the streets and uh, started hanging out well, with started hanging out with a bad crowd. I would not have expected that from Clarence. He seemed like he was on the right path. Later the same year, 1943, Clarence shot and killed a gas station attendant during an attempted robbery. How old is he around this time? He's still 16. Okay. So same year. That same, he dropped out of school, immediately shoots a guy. <laughs> Started robbing shit. God damn. He was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison in Oklahoma's Granite Reformatory. Oklahoma Granite Reformatory, it's now, it's a 110-year-old prison in Oklahoma. It's still active today. It was originally built there because of its proximity to the, the granite mines. So they were going to be able to use free prison, la- or cheap prison labor for mining. That's when you know you're in a bad prison, when they chose its location from its proximity to a mine. You're right. But early in its development, though, they got like a lady warden. And she wanted to make it like a nicer, kinder prison. She was like, no, we want to do rehabilitation, not, you know, revenge. So she turned it into a medium security prison. She eventually phased out the mining because she didn't think it was uh, humane, like fair to ask them to work for such a low wage. You know what I mean? So it was, these it's, women warden, they come in here believing in rights, being all sensible and shit. Oh, all of a sudden we can't use prison slave labor. Man, I'll tell you, as soon as you get women in office, this is what happens. She actually wants reform. There's no reform. Rehabilitation. (laughs) Rehabilitation. That's a a woman language is what that is. Men don't even know that word, rehabilitation. You're crazy. Get them in the mines. When he's going there, it's actually only a medium security prison. So it's a state prison. You know, it's it's a hard prison, but... It's medium security, so. Well, hell yeah, it is. You think they'd send some lady in charge of a maximum security? <laughs> You're out your goddamn mind rehabilitating in the max security? Hell no, nah, this is medium or nothing. He goes there and he's set. He, he's not, he doesn't want to do time. Like, he can't handle it. <laughs> is that an option for you <laughs> like no like, no no you have to be your sentence you gotta be no not you know this really ain't my thing you know what i mean i mean there's a lady warden they're talking about all this other stuff nah i'm good <laughs> like, and the guards just like can he do that like, I, I, no, no, no one's ever I tried it. Look, I mean, if, if we ever had a lady warden before, I don't fucking know, bro. Times are changing. <laughs> After a couple years, him and two other inmates escape. Once they get out, they commandeered a vehicle driven by two elderly people, and they kept them as hostages until they fled Oklahoma. <laughs> Which took longer because they let the old people drive. <laughs> <laughs> he escapes for a while, but he's soon recaptured. Did he try telling them no again? 
so he, he goes to prison for this now. It's 1945. Now, in 1932, in response to the famous Lindbergh baby kidnapping, where state and local authorities could not capture the kidnappers due to jurisdiction issues, the government enacted the Federal Kidnapping Act. This enabled the federal government to step in and pursue suspects across state lines. In addition to that, in 1919, the Dyer Act, for similar reasons, made it a federal crime to cross state lines in a stolen vehicle. Yeah, we've done that a lot on this podcast. Uh, it's just so crazy that that's what it is. It's like a game of tag, and they were on Google. Like, as long as you cross that line, you're safe. Nope, I'm good. You can't come across it. And you were good because they literally couldn't cross state lines. Like, that's nuts. And it took all the, it took Lindbergh's baby to be kidnapped and killed before they're like, you know what? We should be able to chase these guys across an imaginary line in the ground. Yeah, I think in general, especially back in the day, there was always what we know of as the laws today is just layers and layers and layers of fights throughout history as to who controls what. And I mean, if we look at it in reality, that's still going on. Just look at the fact that almost every state now have legalized or decriminalized marijuana, but it's still federally illegal. You know, so it, it it's still not a situation where the state, the cities, and the federal government are all on the same page with laws. So it really just depends on who's after you and whether you're breaking their law or not. So Carnes gets convicted of both, and he gets sentenced to 99 years in federal prison and was transferred Ooh. to Leavenworth Federal Prison. Word, ain't no medium security prison no more. Now with 99 years. Yeah, now I'll see what it's like when he gets a man award. This is Leavenworth Federal Prison. So we only have a modern picture, but we got a 1946 postcard. A postcard. That's that's cool. Postcard. Hey, just hanging out at the penitentiary. <laughs> just want to say what's up. <laughs> That postcard looks really nice, though. It looks like a nice place to be on that postcard. Yeah, it looks like some sort of like a palace on an English estate or something. <laughs> it's funny you said that because I don't remember when I was younger, you know, the racks of postcards, like if there was like price tiers. But I got to imagine that if there was, this one would be like the cheapies, you know what I mean? Like this would be like the postage stamp tier of the postcards, you know what I mean? Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the federal government was like, fuck it. We're opening up this motherfucking supermax and we're giving tours and people can buy fucking postcards and shit. I don't know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure prison postcards were on the bottom rack. So he tells him again, he's like, I don't like this, man. So I don't want to go here. And he tries to escape again while he's still in federal custody on his way, getting transferred to Leavenworth. <laughs> I love how he just keeps on saying, like, no, man, I really don't want to go. Like, you don't understand the fucking rules of the game, do you, bro? I'm just going to try to break out. So they end up catching him again, but he he injures a federal officer, and he gets, he gets sentenced to five more years in federal prison, and then he's transferred. And on July 8th, 1945, at 18 years old, he became the youngest person ever incarcerated at Alcatraz Federal Prison. Damn, did that go how we had planned? <laughs> hey, I, I guess he really did get out of there. I mean... But seriously, though, if he didn't like the last two, I mean, what's there to like about The Rock, 
you know? The, the first crazy. The Rock. Yeah, he's really three little pig in this. He went to the prison made out of straw. Then he went to the prison made out of wood. Now he's at the one made out of stone. I've seen a lot of pictures of Alcatraz. We've talked about Alcatraz. This is, uh, I found this picture recently, and this is my new favorite picture of Alcatraz. I think this one best kind of uh, shows you like how fucking desperate that situation is. Yeah, that this picture is like scary, especially because the way, the angle at which the picture is taken, it looks like there's nothing in sight, period, other than this little rock island. But uh, yeah, it just, it looks very intimidating. Once in Alcatraz, he was diagnosed by a psychiatrist. He was determined to be of average intelligence, but emotionally unstable with a psychopathic personality. Wow. What? Did he go talk to Dr. Obvious? <laughs> they said uh, he was self-centered and he didn't understand social responsibility. So he just kind of walked around like just doing whatever the fuck he wanted, whenever the fuck he wanted. Well, that doesn't sound like the type of guy that would say, no, I don't want to go to prison. Once he was in Alcatraz, he began hanging out with a bank robber named Bernard Coy. Now, Bernard had been a cell block trustee for years and used his extra privileges to figure out everyone's routine and find structural weaknesses, and he put together this meticulous, detailed escape plan. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to take a real quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute.
it's almost time to run put on your army helmets now you're running toward the sun with all your guns defenses down flashes everywhere the lights create an atmosphere water in your lungs you pray for death but life is here you're about to die face it you're about to die zero sand in your glass fuck it you can't even cry put a dagger to your neck just to keep yourself in check put a dagger to your neck just to keep yourself in check everybody grab a side as you fight to stay alive dancing on a hand grenade so you can die and they survive silver bullets in the sky dropping seven second death scattering the children run rub until there's nothing left ashes in the water sons and daughters hold the flags up high wallow in the harbor as the military tanks arrive penetrate the border with disorder like an animal every war is the honor of turning kings into cannibals We're back. So when we left off, Clarence Carnes had been sent to Alcatraz and made friends with a bank robber named Bernard Coy, who was putting together an escape plan. Yeah, like an Andy Dufresne. It, you would think it'd be like an Andy Dufresne. He was like a trustee for years, and you think he puts together this careful plan? Well, what they do on May 2nd, 1946, after being in Alcatraz for less than a year... Carnes, Bernard Coy, and four other inmates overpowered guards one at a time and kept them hostage in two cells until eventually they had nine guards, a Springfield rifle, a 1911, a bunch of billy clubs, and gas grenades. The only thing I heard out of that is the 1911, which is my favorite weapon of all time. That was the only thing I heard. Yeah. <laughs> I love how they did it, like, a video get just one by one like they just went out there like grip up a guard throw throw him in the cell <laughs> take his shit then they slowly go on the hunt grab another guard well the question is which guard had grenades <laughs> he's just walking around with <laughs> and if he had grenades how is he getting overpowered by these <laughs> how are any of these guards getting overpowered by prisoners this is Alcatraz well, how they figured out was this guy had spent years and he knew like everybody's pattern and like when they turn around, what they do, what they look at when they make their coffee. And he actually found a place where the bars looked weak and he knew he couldn't get it off, but he knew he could get it to bend. So he lost enough weight and he came up with a device where he could bend the bar and then lose some weight and slide through. So they let, he like he knew everything. How much are they like robots where it's like a video game where the guy could just memorize? It's like those people that play Mario Brothers and they just like memorize the whole level where they could just run through it real quick, like jump over this guy, then you hit this dude, then you jump over that. Like he just knew exactly where they would be. It's all about perspective, right? Like the guards and, and the, the people who run the prison, they're all they all have like daily lives. They're coming in, they're laughing at the inmate. Like they got like all this <laughs> shit going on. And the only people in the fucking prison, the only thing the, the prisoners got going on is just whatever is in their mental. So I, I guess I could see it just like what you said. I mean, if the only thing you got going for you is that escape plan, then yeah, man, I could see how you'd be like a fucking robot and you'd be on your on your point, you know? Word. Yeah, a lot of time on your hands. 
I do want to mention, I agree with DC. I love the 1911. It's my favorite handgun. It was real popular around this time frame. It's more carryable than people give it credit for because it's a big yeah. gun, but it's a it's like a lean gun. Yeah, it's slim. It won two world wars and it's still like a great firearm <laughs> to this day. That's a classic. 1911, you know, we always talk about Ford and fucking, you know, the Model T and shit like that. The 1911, that's a piece of American machinery. Well, I mean, the way that you uh, just compared it to Ford, 1911, I think, I could be wrong, but that was the first gun that they did the assembly line to. Because a big problem with guns is you couldn't fix them as easy. And the 1911 was one of the first ones that had the universal parts and took that Ford approach and it was an assembly line. I believe it was the 1911 was the first one that was like that. Well, I'm not sure, but I, we're going with it. Hey, it's, it is so. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a lot of firepower, though, you know? Yeah, 1911 and some grenades. Well, and a, and a Springfield <laughs> rifle. And they used it. They were sniping guys in towers and shit. The next level, they're going to beat the, the mini boss, and they're going to get a grenade launcher. We won't get too into it. The plan falls apart because as much as he had it planned out, one of the guards had kept the key on him to make it easier that day, which is against regulations. And the guy didn't realize it, and they locked him in the cell. And when they needed the yard key, it wasn't where it was supposed to be. And then they couldn't get out in the yard. See, this is why you got to switch shit up every now and then. You got to zig instead of zag every once in a while. Get too predictable, keep them keys the same spot every time. Then your enemy knows too. And they zigged and they were like, fuck. Now we're locked in this fucking cell block. And then they eventually found the key. But by the time they found the key, they had tried so hard to get it open with like the wrong key. And if they fucked it up, that now the, the lock was broke. So then eventually <laughs> it didn't even work with the right key. It <laughs> <laughs> sucks. Boom, boom, ba boom. <laughs> <laughs> so the planet falls apart and it turned into a three day siege where they had to cut the electricity and request federal troops who sent in two platoons of Marines from California. Yeah, shit got real. <laughs> Zero to 100, real quick. By the time they retook the prison in May 4th, two correctional officers had been killed and 14 others were wounded. Okay, well, that took all the laughter out of it. They actually killed those dudes. Three of the prisoners, Bernard Coy, Marvin Covert, and Joseph Hubbard, were all killed while Carnes and two other prisoners surrendered and were taken back into custody. I mean, I was joking when I was like, yeah, shit got real, but it really did. They took in the army. They straight went to war. I know this is left field, but, like, I always thought a siege was less than a massacre, but by podcast standards, like, a massacre is, like, lower than a siege. Well, well no, siege is where they take it over to massacre, I believe. Here's what I think. So season one was the season of the massacre, but it's season two, and we're on to bigger, better things. You know what I mean? So now we've moved from massacres to sieges. <laughs> I <laughs> guess. Are we in the season of the siege? The siege you know, season? I think we'll cover at some point the Battle of Alcatraz, like, because you really get into it, and it's pretty fucking crazy. So Sam Shockley and Myron Thompson were both given the gas chamber for their involvement. Carnes was spared the death penalty when several guards testified that he refused to follow instructions to kill them. But uh, they still gave him an additional life sentence. They were going to kill him, but he just said no. This uh, guy breaks the record for, like, years in fucking prison, it seems like. And on top of it, not only do you have so many years in prison, but do you think you, he still thought he had, like, the right to say, I don't want to go to that motherfucking prison. Like, no, dude, you given you got the U.S. record for years in prison so far, motherfucker. You can go to whatever prison we say you go to. No, 
I don't like that. Nope. But even when you throw him in a rock in the middle of the ocean, he still tried to <laughs> run away again. Yeah, he just can't stop. He was held at Alcatraz until it closed in 1963. And most of that time he was spent in segregation. <laughs> That's great. He like closed the bar. He was in Alcatraz till last call. <laughs> like they had to kick on the lights and shit. All right. Gotta go. It's the last one here. Yeah. If I, they don't want me to escape, I'm gonna wait these motherfuckers out. He spent six years in a cell next to Robert Stroud, who's known as the Birdman of Alcatraz. Not he to also, be confused of Birdman from Young Money Records. He also became good friends with Whitey Bulger, who was doing federal time early in his criminal career. So Whitey Bulger actually was in Alcatraz like in the 50s and 60s, and then he got out, and then he didn't go to jail for 42 years. Damn. That was the part I did not know. And I've never heard of uh, Mr. Stroud here. You know what it looks like from his pictures? He was like a doctor who like did like some shady shit or something. Like I wonder what that guy did to be up in Alcatraz. Either that or some kind of weird fucking serial killer or something. He definitely looks like he could be a serial killer. But he was real into birds, and he had wrote a book called The Digest of Bird Diseases, and he contributed $200 from the royalties of that to the defense fund of Carnes and the three guys when they were on trial. What the fuck? <laughs> How random? <laughs> so the dude wrote a book about bird diseases to start a fund to help these people right? that shot up cops. Maybe I was close. Maybe he was some kind of doctor or scientist or something. Like, who the fuck writes books about digestive bird diseases other than those type of people, right? Well, we're not going to get too into it because we could probably just cover him individually someday. But he had wrote the book before that and then had the money. So he had wrote the book because he was into birds. Like, before he got transferred to Alcatraz, he collected birds at the prison he was at. In 63, he was transferred off to Springfield Federal Penitentiary in Missouri. Then he was eventually transferred back to Leavenworth. And that's fucked up. Hey, didn't I I already say no to this place? What the hell? That's fucked up. That's when you know it went bad when you're, like, back to fucking Leavenworth. And you're like, all right, you're right. You know what? I'll I'll do Leavenworth. I was tripping. (laughs) He was rolling up in there. He's like, nope, this is double fucking Jeffrey. You can't put me in here again. (laughs) No, sir. I think you've got that all mixed up. You're going to fucking prison where we say we're going to prison because uh, nobody before you could fucking say otherwise. So where the fuck did you decide you could? All right, fine. But I'm just going to sit in this prison till you shut it down. (laughs) Even though he still had a life sentence, in like 204 years of federal time. He was paroled in December 21st, 1973 at 46 years old. Damn, so this motherfucker like had a part in the Alcatraz, right? Like cops getting shot up and shit and he just gets paroled in his 40s. Yeah. He got out and he stayed in the Kansas City area, but he received two minor parole violations related to his drinking problem and was sent back to prison where he finished his time at Springfield, Missouri. They're like, you broke your parole. You're not supposed to be drinking. I said no to that. Dude, I am so lost because how do you get that many fucking years in prison? You get out somehow and then drinking sends you back? <laughs> what? Like, holy shit, man. Yeah, Eau Clarence was not the brightest bulb. 
On October 3rd, 1988, at 61 years old, he died of complications relating to kidney problems at the Medical Center for Federal Prisoners. He was scheduled to be released a month later. They're like, it's cool. He retired with the home team. He came back to prison to call it a career and take his last ride into the sunset. I signed a one-day yeah. contract. Look, guys, can you guys send me back to where it all started on a one-day contract so I can pass away there, please? How old was he again when he passed? 61. What's crazy about that is with this story, pretty much he spent a lifetime in prison off of something he did at 16 years old. That's what's so crazy about it. It really came down to that. And after that, it was like breaking out of prison and getting caught and trying to break out. And and you spent all this time for something you did at 16 years old. That's crazy. He clearly did time over a mental disorder. He had an issue, you know what I mean? And it did get mm -hmm. treated. And probably because he was a native, uh, you know, a Native American in 1927 in Daisy, Oklahoma. They're like, whatever, crazy mm -hmm. guy, go to jail. <laughs> you know, you're whatever bad. crazy guy, go to jail. <laughs> you're fucking savage. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he could have done a lot less years, too, if he had stopped trying to break out and not killed guards. All things considered, he still got paroled in his fucking 40s. So he still did pretty good for someone who escaped prisons a bunch, or at least tried a bunch, killed guards, started a riot and shit, still paroled at 40. So I think you know, he, he had a pretty good run of things. You make it sound so bad. <laughs> so after he died, he was buried in a pauper's grave. In 1989, when Whitey Bulger found out, he paid to have his body exhumed and transferred back to Oklahoma to be buried in tribal lands. And that was just off their connection from being in the clink together? I guess. I mean, the guys he did time with seemed to fucking really dig him. You know what I mean? Interesting. And you never know. Them yeah. being in jail, they could have had like one of those nights where they were all drunk off the old, uh, what, what's it called? The toilet wine? Pruno. Yeah, Bruno. Yeah, all drunk off of that, and they had a little heart to heart. He's like, "If I ever die in here, Whitey, you gotta promise bury me back in Oklahoma." Don't you bury my Pruno brother in no pauper's grave, goddammit. it! <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's buried in a cemetery in Daisy, Oklahoma. That's on the uh, Choctaw Tribal Reservation territory, and on his headstone it says Joe Carnes. There's really no report of him ever being called that ever or ever having it as an alias, but it was That's what happened. They were drunk off that food. It was like, ah, right, you got to summon back to Oklahoma. You got to bear it. Get it. Hold on, Whitey. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. You're going to put Joe on the tombstone. <laughs> Those sons of bitches won't even know why. My name's Clarence, Whitey. It's not even Joe. Oh, it's a good one. But when you said Joe would come at the end, I didn't think it was like the end. <laughs> like, no, no, after he's dead. Yes, the end. <laughs> as end as you can get. It came in so at the end. It's practically the credits. Interesting, though. I mean, it kind of adds a little layer to it. I mean, I remember I thought you said earlier in the podcast he had no idea of social constructs and stuff. And he did have, a, you know, his mental issues, which would explain kind of maybe why for some reason took an interest to you know exhume and rebury this dude somewhere i mean maybe he just got dealt a raw deal in life 
maybe he somehow did just fall through the cracks and just wrong place, wrong time. But I don't know, man. It's interesting. Well, I think us going through this whole story, we kind of forgot that uh, the whole reason he went to jail in the first place was he shot a dude and killed him during a robbery. So, I mean, right away, that that mistake he made at 16 was killing a dude. All right. Well, that's the story of the Choctaw Kid. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. Oh, you mean right. Joe? Both nicknames where we have no reason or idea why he was called those. Yep. Yeah, Choctaw Kid didn't even come into the story neither. Well, I guess we never it never came up, but we'll cover it now. It, that's what they called him in the press. He got life at 16, went to Alcatraz at 18, and he was Choctaw. It is until you put it right there, that bullet point. Went to jail at 16, went to prison at 16, was in Alcatraz by 18. He did all that escaping, all that shit. Like, within two years, he graduated Alcatraz. That's wild. All right, so now if we were going to cast this, if we are going to make a movie, which there's a movie like The Great Escape. I think it's Telly Savalas as a star. He's not the Choctaw Kid. But if we are going to make a movie about the Choctaw Kid, do you guys have any guests before we look at the pictures? I'm going to say, I think his name is Roz Patel. He was in The Night Of. He played the main bad guy in Venom. He was the pilot in uh, Rogue One. Okay. He's got a movie out right now called The Sound of Metal, which was a metal drummer that slowly loses his hearing. He's yeah. a really good actor, and I think he was in uh, The Sisters Brothers with Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley. It's a Western. I like him in Rogue One. I like him in uh, pretty much everything. I don't think he's disappointed me yet. Well, technically, he's the one that comes up with the term Rogue One, right? He has to list something as a call sign? Yeah, I believe so. Rogue One. So here's pictures of the Choctaw Kid. All right, well, my dude is definitely mm. not him. Michael Pena. Yeah, he looked like Michael Pena in this older one. I got some, uh, there's some older ones, too. All right, this is him and the three guys from the Alcatraz, oh, yeah. the, him and the Alcatraz defendants. There's an actor, I don't know what his name is, but he played in, um, oh, what was that, a Scarface movie, I want to say. Was it Scarface movie or Carlito's Way? I think yeah, I know what you're talking uh the part two, the sequel, Carlito's Ray, The Uprising. It might have been. You played a young Carlito. You watched seven movies, and one of them is Carlito's Way 2. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a waste of a slot. <laughs> oh, you know who I, and This is going to be kind of a deep cut, but he plays uh, Diego in number two in Umbrella Academy. Okay, I found a guy I was thinking about. His name is John Ortiz. John Ortiz? He played in Carlitos, but he—he's one of those guys that if you see him, you'd be like, "Oh, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff," but he's never like the star. Well, and then he could definitely hear because I got another older picture. Oh yeah, he could definitely play that guy. Damn man, you oh, ain't getting yeah. you really old Ha 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 ha! I know no actors, but I pulled that one out of my ass. The picture that you had up before that, where they're all dressed up in like fedoras and suits, it's like not the garb I would be hooked up with for just have escape in fucking prison or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but he had two hundred dollars from that bird book. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) All right. Well, now we got to do the DEFCON scale. So standard DEFCON scale is five to one, five being the lowest, one being the highest. 
on the bad guy podcast, there's no good guys. So five would be Lee Murray, who's your kidnapping, coke dealing, bank robber. And then one would be the Purple Gang, who's got multiple gang wars, multiple massacres, and they kill people in the streets. So on a scale of Lee Murray to the Purple Gang, where would you rate Clarence Carnes? I'm going to go with a, a confused four, a coherent five. But I'm going to stick with a four. And I mean him being confused and coherent, not me, just because I've had a lot of alcohol. (laughs) If he was not to make light of mental issues, but if he was a dude who had mental issues, which I mean, probably most career criminals have probably more of mental issues or like confusion of how, like you said earlier, how society actually is in reality. But I'm going to stick with a four just because... I'm not sure right now exactly like how bad this dude really was, but he he did kill some prison guards and shit, and that's why I'm going to stick with a four. Although Tank was between a four and a five, I was actually between a three and a four, only because if you got at least one body, I can't give you a five unless it was complete self-defense. So the five wasn't an option for me, but I was still teetering. And the the main reason is because, you know, that early killing was like, it didn't have to happen, you know, robbery situation or whatever. And, you know, you didn't have to do that. So that was bad. But you were also 16, young and dumb. But then you add on, you know, what happened with the prison and everything but the the teetering i give on that is is kind of like when when you're going to war so to speak there's casualties so it's like yeah you know what i mean so i I really teetered between a, a a three and a four when you add in the mental issues it leaned me a little bit more toward the four so i basically ended up going with a solid four for him all right, I'm gonna need to. What are these mental issues? What did he have? Well, he's a psychopath. He's antisocial. Okay, well, that's not like a mental issue. That's not a thing. He was a psych. They also said he was narcissistic. All right, this is where I gotta go on my rant because I think you two are fucking crazy. He was between like a two and a three to me <laughs> before he went to prison. He was a little asshole kid that constantly caused trouble, was in and out of prison, got kicked out of school after being 16 in the fucking ninth grade or whatever. His first crime at 16 that you are downplaying the fuck out of, shooting the dude. If he hadn't got locked up then and there, he would have kept robbing and shooting people. This dude was a fucking asshole. Who were his friends? Whitey Bulger? Yeah, that's fucking cool. He hung out with the dudes that decided to do a big uprising in Alcatraz and kill guards, confiscate grenades, do a big standoff with the fucking Marines. What are we talking about here? The only reason he's not a fucking one is because he was in jail all his life. If he was out, who knows what the fuck he would have done? All this is mental issues. The dude was a fucking threat. That was his mental issue. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say he's a two. And the only reason why I even hesitate is because his body count ate up. And that's because he was in jail. The only motherfuckers he could kill were prison guards, which big surprise, he fucking killed them. So fuck this guy. So if I understand you correctly, you think he's a pretty bad guy. Nah, he's a, saying, that's not, a, not a fan of his work. <laughs> I just always give a little bit more leeway when somebody does something when they're really young. And Lyle will tell you this, even from conversations we had nothing to do with that guy podcast. I think when we get older, 
we judge young people really harshly as if we didn't do very stupid things when we were young. Now, we may not have bodies from when we were young, but I guarantee you just about everybody listening to this podcast has done something in their youth that may have led to that, but through luck, they weren't in certain situations. I know a whole lot of people when they were young that did robberies that just didn't turn out in the body and things of that sort. When you're young, you do things really stupid. And for some people, they never can get out from under that. And that's not to knock anything that you're saying. I just look at it a little bit different when you do things when you're young. I'm going to take everybody's arguments into uh, consideration. <laughs> you know? And after much heated debate, I think what we're going to have to do is we're going to go with precedence because we also have, like, we have James Lucas and Tom Silverstein, who are both threes. And they're both prisoners that don't have, like, high body counts because they spend a lot of time in prison. And I think uh, that that kind of sets the precedence. And I think that's how most law works in America. It doesn't matter what's going on now. It's just how did we decide before? And before we decided that if you spend most of your life in your prison and you only kill a couple guys, that makes you a three. So. And it splits right down the middle, so that works. I mean, I got no problem. We'll go with the three. But for the record, it's not body count. It's mindset for me. It's no, I agree. <laughs> not well, body I think, count. I think that's why James Lucas was at a three, not because he was uh, had killed a whole bunch of people, but because he was always trying to, not for lack of effort. He was trying to kill all the people, and that's you know that moves you up. Yeah, I like it because this was the first one that we really debated the death count like this. I like this. So we're going to call this a highly debated DEFCON 3. Zach, this is Crystal Palace. Sink Norad has declared DEFCON 3. Scramble all alert aircraft. I repeat, scramble all alert aircraft. We'll see you at the season two recap situation. <laughs> as, as, a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, a lot of feedback on this one. That's what I was going to say, Tank. We need everybody, whatever channel you're following on us on, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, whatever. We need to know for this one, where do you put this guy on the DEF CON scale? Because yeah. this is definitely the most debated one I've been on. All right. Well, I think that's a, that's a good note to wrap it up on. So this is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming, and thanks for listening. Trying to raise me like a man Plus my daddy in the box And all my cousins in the cam And I don't need a hundred friends I just want a hundred bands A hundred jokes, a hundred scams, ay. 